Hi, I'm Carla with Race to Walk, and these are just some thoughts on the Sunday. And what I do on these weekly updates is I just share a few thoughts I've had for the week, and then I also give an update about where we're at with helping some Afghan Christians in their immigration journey. So the way I got started in this, um, back in 2021, a friend of mine, uh, Mark Ritchie, he's an author, uh, asked me if I would help him teach some Bible studies with some, um, actually, he was teaching via Zoom in Pakistan. And so I started with that teaching every so often, and he would invite me to some of his other classes that he had. And then last year in October, 2022, he asked me if I would fill in for him on some uh, classes and uh, they were, two of them were with some Afghan Christians and what was happening at the time, Pakistan was cracking down on uh, foreign nationals that didn't have valid visas to be in Pakistan. And Pakistan had been pretty restrictive about issuing the visas to Afghans to begin with. And then, um, so that started with this whole uh, saga of figuring out how to get visas, where to get them, what type, uh, who could be trusted. They had to, in order to get these new visas, if they couldn't get extensions on their existing ones, they had to go back to Afghanistan, file extra permits and wait for new visas to be issued in Pakistan, super stressful, huge, big mass. And uh, so that added a whole nother dimension to what started as teaching Bible studies. And um, so what happened last year actually is happening again. It actually never eased up um, on the restrictions on Afghans in Pakistan. It got really, it was bad for them before 2023, but since 23, 23 started, it's been really, really severe, really intense. Um, a lot of just the harassment of um, Afghans in Pakistan has increased. They literally like pretty much shut down 100% issuing any visas at all to Afghans in 2023, in February of 2023. And just last week, they um they another notice went out that Pakistan is planning on deporting the 1.7 million Afghans that are in uh in their country without a valid visa like a lot of it's not that they're just they're not trying to be there they're just trying to escape the Taliban not be killed this most of the people there are um, not most, but a lot of them are there because they had to flee Afghanistan because they were allies. Um, you know, they either worked for the um, the former republic, or they were in the military, or they worked for foreign NGOs. Anyone. It's not just the people who work for them. It was also you know anybody that their family too. And so now they're planning on deporting all the Afghans or this is what they've said and the Taliban have oh and besides that Pakistan is offering rewards to people who turn Afghans in so this is a poor country so you can imagine besides that the Taliban have said that they are planning on putting any um women and children without a male head of household in 
camps. They won't even, they're just going to be rounding them up. And if you know how horrific the Taliban are to women, you know, they've taken girls as young as 12 as second, third or fourth wives for Taliban members. I mean, that's one part of the horrificness. If you want to learn about what trafficking looks like in Afghanistan, uh, do a search for, I don't, I'm not even sure how to pronounce it, Baki boys in Afghanistan. I, I'm not even going to get into it because it's a really, really disturbing um, practice. And then they're just completely brutal to women, but that's one part of it. But I was thinking about it yesterday and I'm sure that when they don't, they uh, round up all these um, women and children that they're probably going to be using them as leverage against, uh, you know, if, if the husbands have escaped to other countries, they're probably going to be using them as leverage, their families as leverage against them. So, cause that's what they do. I mean, they'll, they'll kill women and children, you know, to get for in retaliation against, you know, people who they see as their enemies, which is pretty much everybody, honestly. I mean, it's just, when you look at what the Taliban are doing in Afghanistan, it's so ridiculous. You know, they, and they don't have an excuse for, um, oh, we're these foreign oppressors. This is what they're fighting against. All they know how is to steal, kill and destroy. And so the foreigners are gone. And so the only people that are left to uh, steal from, kill and destroy are their own people. So they can't, and this is who we turned Afghanistan over to. So anyway, that's what's going on. That's how we started it. Um, but anyway, so then as we're in the process, Don or um, Mark brought his friend, Don Shire into it. And Don has a ministry, Don Shire Ministries International, and he has been doing uh, missions all over the world for a long time. And so um, Mark or Don agreed that any donations made to his ministry at donshireministries.org, if you select Race to Walk, um, then it will be going to um, our people. So um, we've had people donate, even people that aren't techie, that... Um, and they say it's super easy. And it is if, if you want it to go to a specific thing, like if I talk about something, you say, oh, I want it. I want to help in this specific way. Just put you select race to walk with it in the comments. So you can say, I want it to go to this specifically. Um, so anyway, but the topic of the stream today is fighting opposition. And so this is what I've been this has been on my thoughts a lot recently. I get really frustrated sometimes with um, people like when it seems to me things are obvious and they don't acknowledge it or they, um, it, it frustrates me when people don't see and if they don't see the truth or if they don't even, aren't even interested or don't even care what the truth is, that, that frustrates me. And I've been struggling a lot with that, especially, I mean, I always have, it's always irritated me, but especially in the last few years, you know, with the pandemic and our elections and, you know, things that um, I can handle, you know, people when they're 
not Christians, if they don't believe it, I just figure, okay, well, you know, you're in the place where you're at and, you know, you, you, um, sometimes we don't see wrongs because we don't have the spirit of truth in us. Right. And so one of my Bible study teachers once said, you can't expect redeemed actions from unredeemed people. And sometimes our thoughts and behaviors, we, we don't realize, I think sometimes how much what we might see is um, a common way of acting and being is really an expression of the gospel. It's an expression of the Holy spirit within us. And it's, and as we are, you know, these, as people who are, you know, these witness bearers, that's what we're supposed to be as Christians. We're supposed to be witness to the power of the Holy spirit in us. That changes culture. It's not a top-down thing. It should be, um, culture is just a product of our behavior and um, as people, right? It's what we do. Uh, Donald Williams has a book called 95 Theses on the Burning Reformation and on an unexpected journal. If you, I can't remember which issue this was in, it might've been an image bearers. That might've been it, but he talks about culture, right? And how it's a product. So you don't, you don't really control, you just have to, culture shows us what we are, shows us what we value. And, um, I don't think we realize sometimes how much that inner witness, right. Has had an impact on culture and just about what we think is, what we think and believe is right. And what we value. And I've seen that very clearly as I've been working in, um, you know, with, uh, Christians in other cultures, just how vastly different the culture is. It's just, for example, in Pakistan, the culture is completely corrupt. Um, just corruption is the way that they do business, which is why people don't want to do business with them because who wants to do business with crooks? You know, you don't want to have to, you want to know what the cost of business is going to be and not have to, you know, have all these extra fees or expediting fees thrown in or think that you're going to be getting, um, have an agreement with, for something and then it not come through, you know, no one wants to do business that way. And that's part of the reason why Pakistan is a poor country. One reason is they, um, don't invest in their people. They, uh, very like what Greg Abbott wants to do here in Texas, defend public education. He's trying to sell out our public education system to his uh, big money donors, but that's what the way Pakistan is. They have very, um, their public schools is very poorly funded, not very, you know, prevalent. And if people want to get an education, they have to pay quite a bit to get their kids, um, in school and in private schools to have a decent education. And because if they don't, they're, they're just, um, you know, just into life of poverty, grinding poverty. That's how one of my, my friend Seth, who writes a ton, an unexpected journal, he helps, he's very, really has 
a heart for missions and he interacts with people all over the world. And there's a Pakistani that he's befriended that he's been trying to help. And I said, well, the, the best thing you do is to help him learn English, like pay for English classes and um, start there because if he doesn't, I mean, it's either, you know, English, you can operate in business, you know, there, or you don't. And it's just, you, you just pretty much, again, you're going to be in a struggle all, all your life. I said, so that would be the first thing. But um, anyway, so there's a couple things, right? So it's, it, it, but it still boils down to corruption. They don't, the country doesn't invest in their people because the resources that come into it are held at the top, right? They, they don't go down to the people and it's not for the welfare of the people as a whole, which would be education. But the other thing, it it influences, um, it, you, just, you just don't even understand like what a dramatic difference it is. For example, I was watching an episode of the Afghanistan Project podcast and there was um, a former military member that had been, I think at the, I can't remember if he was at the Abbey Gate or if he was just at the HKIA airport. But he said that what was really difficult for him, because there was no clear instructions about who was supposed to be let in and who wasn't for the evacuation. And the communication was a mess. Um, their instructions were a mess. They were just kind of trying to adjust on the fly, you know, on the different, the change of what they were being told. And they said that it was really difficult because they would see men pushing women and children out of the way. You know, they were trying to prioritize women and the, the Americans were trying to prioritize women and children. And there were, um, you know, Afghan men who were pushing those women and children out of the way, or they would grab a child that didn't belong to them and bring them up because they knew that the American military would um, want to protect the child and it's just a difference in culture it's it's a complete difference in culture and um that's that's what you see it's like it's not that is um that is baked into islam and people may find that offensive but it's true it is true go to the muslim countries and see how they treat women and children go and read the stories about what's happening to Afghan girls. They don't value them at all. They don't value women. Um, my, when I was talking to Mark one time, he said that even it's, it's so pervasive. The abuse of women is so pervasive in military, in the Muslim um, culture that even Christians, uh, Christian pastors will beat their wives and they just don't, they don't understand that it's not right because they, that's the culture. That's what they've grown up with. That's what they know. And we assume things are basic, like basic and common, but some of the things, just common decency, but, but some of the things that we think are just common decency are really what we've become used to and accustomed to in a culture that does have a Christian basis. And I, I know that people 
um, in the U.S. get kind of, you know, depending on what side you fall on, you may rile up at that. But the regard for women is counterculture. It's counterculture at the time. It's even in Jewish culture. Even in the Jewish culture, this based on scripture that has continually been common culture about pushing, you know, uh, giving protections for women, then even so, the men didn't even regard women as human beings. And that was one of the Jewish prayers. Like it, the um, Jesus gave an example of the uh, Pharisee and the tax collector. And when he was saying that, he was actually... Uh, he was referring to an actual common practice. They would have a prayer and say, thank God for not making me a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. That's how they saw anyone who wasn't a Jewish male, right? So this is how they saw it. And so women weren't, generally weren't given any um, respect or um, value. And, uh, in even in the Jewish cultures where like you know in Genesis it says and God created them in his in his image male and female he created them even so you know they missed it even the whole, whole thing about Tamar you know with um the this is where the whole anti-contraception um, thing comes in in the Catholic Church where it's like Tamar is, is it Tamar yeah so anyway that Tamar was supposed to, her husband died and the, uh, in that culture, again, a woman couldn't own anything and that she had no, uh, she would basically be homeless on the streets if she didn't have children to take care of her. That was the, ch- the children were the, the woman's retirement plan. She had no security other than that after her husband died. So her husband died and the, the instructions in scripture were that a brother, a family member was to give her a child, like to have sex with her so she could have a child. So that child could inherit the family portion and she would have security. And so Onan came and he didn't, he was just using her and exploiting her for sex rather than um, doing what he was supposed to do. So she would have security in her own age and God killed him. And the distortion by the rabbis as well as the catholic church of that was that the sin was spilling the seed not exploiting the women it was spilling the seed and you can kind of see that same sort of misogynistic twist on some of the things coming out really gross stuff coming out of all the writing of the theobros and just i'm not gonna get into this whole thing this is really not what i was going to be talking about today but that's where because they don't it's just inconceivable to them that the Lord would be concerned about the welfare of a woman didn't even occur to them. So the whole, you know, anti-contraception thing, that's where it comes from because they don't see women as human beings. So anyway, it's, that's the natural bent of fallen human nature to disregard women. Misogyny is baked into it and it's baked into, uh, really baked into Islam. I mentioned last week that um, a lot of like Nabil Qureshi, that was part of the reason that 
uh, worked into his rejection of Islam um, was the how it viewed women. But anyway, like I was saying, Mark has said that it's just common in the culture. We don't realize how much um, what is around us shapes our pers- our perception and our understanding of things. We just we just don't even realize that. So anyway, back to what I was originally going to be talking about: fighting against opposition. I get a lot of times I get frustrated because you know I think as Christ- Christians we should all be on the same page. We should all be paying be playing by the same rule book and sometimes it doesn't seem like we are and i get frustrated because i think why should i have to explain this you know you say you're a christian you're reading the same bible i am how do you how do you not see this you know that this is wrong that it's a wrong thing to support exploitation and um abuse of people that can be so many different ways that the church has supported that and how do you not see that as wrong? And um, it's really frustrating. Then I realized that, again, that part of it is maybe people aren't as Christian as they think they are. And part of that is we've, I think in the church, we've focused on conversions rather than discipleship. And what that really means, this may not, and this part may not seem related, but I do think part of it is, is that people don't know how to read for meaning anymore. So maybe they are reading the Bible and they're not actually, they understand the words, but the meaning of it isn't really sinking in and grabbing them because we don't just because of the way we read. So we've been, uh, the U.S. has used uh, whole language learning as, which is basically kind of looking at sight words and memorizing memorization words rather than sounding things out phonetically for a long time. And it's been, you know, scientifically proven over and over and over again that that is a substandard way of reading that phonics um, activates uh, parts of the brain that advanced readers use. But not only that, I think there is something about um I haven't looked up studies of this because this was just occurred to me, but there's something about the sound and meaning as I, when I was taking Hebrew and Greek, um, I would look at a word, you know, and obviously I had seen it before, but I wouldn't remember what it meant until um, I started sounding it out phonetically. And then once I did that, then the meaning, I could get the meaning of it. I was like, oh yeah, I remembered it. Uh, one of the the kids that started um, school this week, and she doesn't. She was taught in Afghanistan. She was taught Persian, as we were taught English, and then she they learned English and Pashto in their Afghan schools. And um, it was very obvious to me when I started the reading classes with them that their teachers taught them phonetically because they literally they can read anything. I mean, they don't know the the words the meaning of all the words, depending on what we're reading, but they, I, I've told them and I've told, you know, other people in our group that, you know, I've seen, they can read better than a lot of English American students can 
because they were taught phonetically and American students were probably taught by whole language learning. But not only I asked her how, if you know, how, how it went in class. And she said that the reading was really easy. And I said, do you speak English to best? And she said, yes. And then she said, she can also read Urdu fluently because Urdu and Persian are both use Arabic alphabet, but some of the, some of the letters are a little different and some, and a couple of the sounds are different. So she can still read it phonetically. And she, he, she said, well, I said, how do you, how do you know Urdu? And she said, well, it's similar to Persian. It's just a few, there are just a few things that are different. And I said, well, you need to, I said, do you know who, um, you still have contact with your teachers that you had in Afghanistan. She said, no. I said, well, if you ever come in contact with them, you're going to have to tell them thank you for, for how well they taught you because they prepared her really well. I mean, it's just amazing when I think about it because they haven't been in school since even before they came to Pakistan, they haven't been in school since the pandemic started. And especially, so she's 13, she's going to be turning 14 this month. Um, and the 10 year old, she speaks, I mean, she's not, she doesn't have, um, her English isn't as good as, as the 13 year olds, but she still, I think she, her English is still pretty good and she reads well. And I don't know if her sister, I was told that they didn't start learning uh, English until fourth grade, either in her school in Afghanistan, they learned earlier or her sister taught her because she's still, I mean, she's, she reads well. I mean, and uh, she, I think for her age and where she's been, I think she speaks well too. I mean, it's just amazing. It's just amazing to me where they're at um, with how long that they've been out of school. So anyway, but I was just going to say that I think that sometimes if we, we have a whole, um, couple generations of people who have been taught with whole language learning that don't read fluently. I mean, it's not that uh, we have all these illiterate people in the U.S., but we have a lot of illiterate people. They don't read. And I think it's because they don't read well. And I think that they don't understand, they don't have the confidence to read and um, be certain that they're, they're reading with understanding. And, uh, I think that affects our faith. If we can't read well, and if we learn how God speaks to us through his word, right? If the Bible is the foundation of how, of our relationship with God and how he speaks to us, then where are we at? So I was, there was a clip of a, a comedian reading from the Bible at a school board meeting and when there was all this debate about book banning and he was reading some of the really uh, uh it was you know there were very strong passages if you want to talk about uh, content that is disturbing uh, there's a lot that's in the bible and they were showing people's reactions in the crowd and it was very obvious very very obvious that there were a lot of people that in the audience that had never read the Bible, had no idea what was in it. And I was listening to the South Lake a podcast. Um, they have a series on what went down there and listening to some of the, um, 
the speakers at some of the school board meetings and they were talking about this is our Christian heritage and on and on and on. I'm thinking, you don't even know what Christianity means. I mean, you don't know what it is. You don't know what the gospel is. You just, you miss the whole point. Like, how do you read this Bible and miss the entire point? And I think it's because we don't, they don't know what it means. There's some words, but they don't like even so many people I don't even think that they even try to understand what it means like what it meant to the people at the time you know these are words being written within a specific place within a specific time to specific people who would understand it in a specific way and it doesn't mean that truth changes but it to really understand the message what was it that the writer was saying to the people that were receiving it? And then how do we apply that to our own situation? And I just, I just don't think, I just don't think a lot of times that people in the Christian church do. It's just very, um, it's really disturbing. So uh, it's been frustrating to me. It's been frustrating to me. I wouldn't have thought that you would need to say that um, not killing your neighbor by infecting them with a uh, virus is a bad is not something we want to do. It's a bad thing. There's whole segments in the Torah that are basically public health measures. Like how do you how do you miss that? I don't know. Obviously, we do. So. I don't think that um, I think we take the comfortable parts. Jesus love us, loves us, but I think we miss the uncomfortable part about why that the fact that he loves us is such an amazing thing because we do some pretty awful things um, left to ourselves. And we've seen that an abundance of that in the past few years, but what I was originally going to be talking about, you know, fighting opposition, that was really, I realized that that's really, that's really the point. And I get frustrated, but it's like getting frustrated when you jump into a pool and get wet. That's just the nature of it. And this is, this is what life is. Back in uh, last summer, um, our summer issue of an unexpected journal was on dragons. And I wrote, an essay on Job and his dragon and Ted Wright with Epic Archaeology wrote an essay on uh, dragons in um, the ancient Near East and in literature. And so this connection isn't really, I don't think it's in either of our essays directly, but we did um, a, he and I were in the same segment in um, our launch party last summer and we were talking about this, that the, the account in Genesis, it's not, um, it's not really, it's not like a scientific account. The account in Genesis one is really a, an answer to, it's actually kind of a call for war actually. So Job was the first, the oldest book of the Bible written. And the question in the book of Job is, why evil? You know, it's it's all about the problem of evil. And so that's the oldest book in the Bible. And then you go to, you know, really the 
what we consider the first five, five books, the books of law, and uh, the traditional writer is the writer of Moses. But as he's writing it, he's delivered the Israelites, or they've, they've come out of Egypt, right? Maybe he's writing this when he's in the wilderness. We don't know when it was written exactly, but maybe he wrote it in the wilderness when he knows that he's not going to enter the promised land because of his disobedience. And so the gods of Egypt at the time, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world and their gods were seen as the most powerful. And every plague of Egypt was an attack against one of their gods, like what they, the Egyptians saw as one of their gods is having power, right? And when in Genesis 1, when he's saying, um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So he's saying that Yahweh created this because the Egyptians believe that their God created, you know, they had this, they had a different creation story. And then it said, the earth was without form and void and darkness hovered over the abyss. So this is abyss, this to home. This is actually um, the same thing that in Revelations is God will throw death and the grave into the abyss. It's this chaos, this darkness. So in the beginning, there was this chaos. And in the middle of this, in the middle of the chaos, God spoke and he created. He created the world and it was good. He created goodness in the middle of the chaos. It didn't start from peace and calm. God spoke into this, into this dark, this void, this chaos, and he created good. And he created us in his image. He created us at his, as his, um, his stewards, his ambassadors, that we're to carry out his work on earth. This, this subduing the chaos, that is the mission. And so this whole story of why evil, you know, there was evil in the beginning and God created, created us to be good. He created good for us. He created us and we were good, right? We chose to know the darkness. And so we had this separation between him and us because, you know, God is light. There's no darkness in him. But when we ask why evil, because we forget how we got ourselves into this problem, right? That was Job's question, why evil? And we forgot how we got here. But the rest of the Bible is, is showing, okay, in the Old Testament, in the Exodus, God gave the Mosaic law and we saw that we could not obey the law. Peace did not come with the law. And the whole the whole arc is showing us how much we need God, how much we need to rely on him as savior. And then Jesus came and he's saying the way is peace that even in the middle of all of this, that we can give us, he will give us peace. And so when these other cultures had these uh these gods that they worshipped as power over the water over the seas that was in you know, the goddess of the Tiamat. you know this is actually 
part of the as part of the uh, Egyptian creation story, like over the waters. You know, that's how it was created. They they were separating these these different waters. It's like God the Genesis is saying that Yahweh separated the waters. But when you think about all the references to to water, like in the beginning, God separated the heavens from the earth. He separated the land from the sea. When he led the the Israelites out of Egypt, they crossed, he parted the waters so that they could cross go across as if on dry, dry land. When they conquered Jericho, the priests put their started to step in, the waters parted. When Elijah was uh, he spoke and there was no rain, and then when he spoke again, there was. Jesus said that he was the living water. He turned water into wine. He's saying, I have control over this. And then there's one account that Jesus is in a boat and there's a storm. And he speaks and he calms the storm. But then the second time, he didn't calm it. He walked on it. He walked on the water and he says, Peter says, I want to come too, right? And he walks out and he starts doing it and then he falls because he loses faith. So when I get frustrated about all the ignorance and um, blindness, I have to remind myself that that's, that's life. That's just what we're in. And um, that is the that's what we're here for if we are living up to our true purpose as God's imagers is we're to subdue the chaos and we're to bring the light. We can only do that if we are light bearers, right? If we have the Holy Spirit within us, that's the only way that we can do that. And people aren't going to know that a different way is possible unless if they see it lit. So anyway, um, those are my thoughts for the week. I um, was talking a little bit about what's going on in Afghanistan. I did mention that there's another uh, crackdown again. So keep everybody in your prayers. We've already had, we've had so many people arrested for, even though we had um, a visa and it was valid and um, he was held in jail for a couple of days. I just keep everybody in your prayers. It's just a really, just imagine uh, always being afraid of somebody knocking at your door. That's that's basically the, what they're living under. And they don't really know when or where the out's going to come. Um, I did give you a little bit of an update about the kids. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the, I told you that there were the, two girls and um, that were going to school and we think that their cousin's also going to be able to go, which we didn't think originally he was going to be able to. So that's a good thing. And um, the other thing that happened this week is I mentioned last week, the whole, I told the story about center for immigration studies. It was really, uh, they were putting out like really deceptive and misleading um, articles. Well, there was another one that came out this week and I didn't, it's not like I follow them, but I got a message, several messages on WhatsApp from um, people in my group and a um, 
Persian newscast had picked up an article by Center for Immigration Studies. And in that article, they were, there were a bunch of things that were deceptive and misleading about the article that Center for Immigration Studies had written. But they made it seem like Welcome Corps that they could, um, that somebody, that private sponsors could just um, bring over unvetted refugees through Welcome Corps. It's not true. It's very, um, very, very deceptive. They, and, and this is the thing, there's no excuse for it because it says all over the Welcome Corps website that um, right now that they're just using, they're just bringing in people who are, only people are eligible at the moment are people already in the immigration system, already in user app. There's no excuse for it. Uh, also in phase two, they will be able to, uh, private sponsors and individuals will be able to recommend uh, ref refugees into the program to sponsor but they still have to have, they have still have to be considered a refugee, meet the, the, the criteria for being a refugee by DHS. So if they don't have the UNHCR designations, then they have, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, somehow uh, DHS is going to vet them. So Canada, if that's the case for that um, employment visa that I mentioned that came out in for refugees expedited program that came out in July. If they don't already have the UNHCR designation, then they can, they have three uh, NGOs that can certify them. I don't know what the US is gonna plan on doing. They haven't, I haven't, have not heard. Um, I've been asking people, I did get a contact just on Friday I think maybe I might be able to get some more information. I don't know. I have to, the person I talked to didn't know, but I'm supposed to send an email and hopefully I'll get an answer for that. So that was one thing, super frustrating. Just want to smack people. The other thing that happened, this was just um, yesterday. Sometimes I get confused about like what day it actually was because they're, they're 10 hours ahead of us, but there were two, um, I think both of them were 6.3 earthquakes in the city of Herat that's up in uh, Western Afghanistan. It was actually, I think about the same time that the attacks were starting um, from Hamas um, in Jerusalem, just about the same time actually. So uh, be praying for people there. They've been asking for um, aid for, it's really devastating in the city. The Taliban aren't doing anything because again, they're terrorists and thugs. They are incompetent and incapable of doing anything that is productive or worthwhile. So um, they can't take care, take care of people. All they, again, all they know how to do is destroy and any aid that goes in, they just take it for themselves. So anyway, so that, that happened. Um, the other thing is I've seen some discussion about this. Um, so the Taliban have been asking Iran for passage to go to Jerusalem. You'll see that sometimes. You'll see like um, some of the the uh, Taliban or I don't even know. There's a bunch of different terrorist groups in Afghanistan, and they'll decide like, okay, yeah, we're you know next we're on our way to Jerusalem, and so they they want to go and 
you know, for them, it's a holy war, right? So because of that, uh, people saying, well, they're threatening a U.S. ally. And that was part of the Doha agreement that they would not do that. So I just have to say this. The Taliban did not hold up to the Doha agreement, even from the very beginning. Stephen Jensen like, has put out, I think it was Stephen Jensen, might have been Scott Richards. I don't know. Sometimes they put out a lot of, both of them put out a lot of information. Sometimes I get them confused. But one of them showed that even going, leading up to the withdrawal, that the Taliban did not decrease their attacks at all. So they've never, never held up to, I mean, that was, it wasn't even an agreement. It was basically, you know, us turning over, playing dead and surrendering. That's thanks to Zalmay Khalilzad and Mike Pompeo. That's what they got us into. Taliban didn't do anything. And then do you say that, how would you say that they didn't attack directly attack the U.S. and NATO allies when they were, you know, attacking us at the, like the Abbey Gate wasn't, wasn't an attack. So they never did. I, they never held up to it. And I just have to say like people trying to put this as a side, it's not a side. Okay. So yes, Trump did. That was his deal. The Doha agreement was his deal. Loser, loser, loser deal. That was the Doha agreement. That was Trump. NATO allies stood by the U.S. for 20 years in Afghanistan, and he doesn't even, he doesn't even consult anybody. He just does what he wants to do with that ridiculous deal. But Biden followed through on it. And again, he, they never held up to the, what they were supposed to do. So no, I don't think he was obligated. He'd have to do squat. He'd have to do that. Besides the fact that this is, this is a guy, Trump, who had just tried to overthrow the U.S. government. He's a traitor. Why would you, why would you honor an agreement, a traitor made with the people who backed the people who attacked us in 9-11? That's ridiculous. Don't, don't even tell me. You just don't want to deal with it anymore. You took that as now. So anyway, you have to own your own stuff. Don't try to put all the blame on Trump. Yeah, that was a bad deal. He probably would have done the same thing. It probably would have been just as bad, but Biden didn't have to go go along with Trump's bad deal. He didn't have to. So anyway, other things. People are saying that the uh, <laughs> arguing about whether or not the uh, there were, and now they're trying to deny that we left equipment there. There's some people like trying to make it seem the withdrawal was a mess. It was a debacle. Just own it. Biden's going to have to own it. He's done a lot of good things. Afghanistan was not one of them. It's a mess. Own your own stuff. We left. We left weapons. We left data. We left information. We left everything for them. So. I mean, people have said this a long time and now it's like now what's happened is that the um, Israelis have confirmed that there are there's U.S. equipment that was originally from Afghanistan that shown up in Gaza. Big surprise. Big. World is a mess all over. I must feel like it should be fasting for the next month or something. I don't know, but it's a mess. So um, I know that there's a lot of uh, there's need all over the world keep my keep my people in your prayers um i did have some really great news this week but i can't say anything which is just driving me crazy because i would really like to share it but i can't so uh, i just have to remind myself to um keep pushing against the opposition keep praying and um anyway 
So I hope you guys have a great week. And uh, yeah, things are, it seems like things are stirred up all over. I've had some stuff happen too, personally, that it's like, I feel like things are moving and then it's just like this. That's always how the story goes too, right? Like right before the massive break, breakthrough, there's this huge opposition. Oh, and I think last week I said it was Daniel 9 that talks about the Prince of Persia is not Daniel 10. It's Daniel 10. And in Daniel 9, Gabriel appears to Daniel. Daniel 10, it's it's the Lord appears to Daniel. And uh, so the Lord was held up for 21 days, right? So I guess um, that's part of the struggle too, right? That is as part of the reality that we're in. So anyway, um, again, if you'd like to help any of our people, you can go to org, select Race to Walk. Um, if there's a particular area that God's put on your heart, just put that in the comments, and then that will be directed to whatever that is, whether it's getting passports for people that um, just recently opened up or helping with visas or education or whatever like if there's a particular area just put that in the notes and that will be allocated to that so anyway hope you have a great week and i'll talk to you next time